Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the people who call Eternal City Church their home and for the people who you will bring to this church who are not even Christians yet. Father, we want to see many, many from this city come to know you, come to love you, come to grow and be discipled, and then to go out and make disciples. May we be a disciple-making church. Holy Spirit, only you can do it. We cannot do it on our own. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And so we are fully dependent on you. Even in these moments, we want to rely on your strength. So help us. Help us, please. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts and wills to obey. It's in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. So as I said, we are in this series, Do You Love the Church? And we are now in spiritual gifts. What is a spiritual gift? Well, a spiritual gift is, ready? A gift specific to you and Holy Spirit enabled. It's an ability or multiple gifts or abilities to serve the church. Let me read it again faster. A spiritual gift is a specific to you and Holy Spirit-enabled ability or multiple gifts or abilities to serve the church. It's a Holy Spirit-enabled gift for you to use to love and serve others. And by loving and serving others with the spiritual gift He's given you, or gifts He's given you, you love and serve God. Remember Jesus said, a cup of cold water given in my name will not lose its reward. As you serve others with the gifts that you have been given, you are serving God himself, and that will not lose its reward. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that when you believed the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit at the moment you believed You have and had, past tense, the Holy Spirit living in you who guarantees your eternal inheritance, eternal life, life with God, new heavens, new earth. But listen, 1 Corinthians makes it real clear, 12, 19, and 20. Do you not know that your body, your physical body, is a temple? Old Testament temple, that's where God dwelled. That's where you went to meet with God. We don't go to church or a church building to meet with God anymore. This is not a sanctuary. Get that out of your head. You are the temple. Your body is the temple of God, the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, where is God most clearly present? Not in a church building. But listen, when the church gathers together in a church building, For the purpose of worshiping Jesus, of course. Because where two or more are gathered, what? There I am in the midst. Now, we know that means church discipline, but it's bigger than that. It means that literally, if God dwells in you and he dwells in me, when we gather in number, more of the presence of God is present. That's why church gatherings for worship are uniquely a place where God shows up. But listen, when you leave here, your body is still the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you're driving home in your car, your body is still a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know, 
1 Corinthians 12, 19 and 20, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, now because of that, do this. So glorify God with your body. Use your body to glorify God. It's a temple. It's where he dwells. It's, your body is now for the glory of God. When before Christ, it was used for sin and the worship of Satan, even though that was not intended. It was unintended, but you were still worshiping and serving him. You were slaves. That's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, so if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, tonight is not going to be a detailed examination and exposition of every gift that the New Testament says exists. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that because that would take forever. So when we go through 1 Corinthians, verse by verse by verse, which I'd love to do soon, we'll do that. When we go through Romans, it's coming verse by verse by verse. Listen, the first time it took 10 years, second time it took five, I think I can do it in two and a half. We've only been alive as a church for two years, so we could have been in Romans every week and still not been done. When we go through Romans chapter 12, we will hit the gifts one by one, okay? But until then, tonight is just a flyover. We're going to mention the gifts, we're going to give a brief, here's what they are, but we're not going to dig into each gift, we just don't have the time. So... We're going to rather look at the gifts under three headings. One, gifted. Two, gifted to serve. And three, God is gift. Let's do number one, gifted. So there's two categories of gifts. So you can boil all the gifts down to two categories. Two. Guess what they are? Serving and words. Actions and words. You can boil them all down to those two. How do you know that, Chris? Well, because 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11 says this. You can read along with me. As each has received a gift. Now, this is the context of spiritual gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. We'll hit that in a moment. Whoever speaks, there's the speaking gift, as one who speaks oracles of God, that means direct words from God's mouth, like Romans 3.2 and Acts 7.38. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So there it is. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength God supplies. In order that in everything. So here's why. In order that. So that. In everything God may be. There it is again glorified. So your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, therefore glorify God with your bodies. You've been given these gifts in two categories, serving and words. Use them. Why? For the glory of God, so that God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's why. So God's getting glory as we use the gifts he's given us. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So two categories of gifts, words and deeds. You could say speaking and service. Speaking and service. I wonder if you know how you're gifted. Are you more prone to words or are you more prone to serving? Those are the categories. Romans 12, 3 to 8. This is one of the main texts in the Bible that deal with spiritual gifts. Let's get into it. For by the grace given to me, now, this grace that Paul speaks of in verse 3 is 
as an apostle, Paul was commissioned in Acts chapter 9 to go to the Gentiles. That's the grace he's talking about. He is authoritative by the commissioning of Jesus Christ himself. He's not some guy. He is the apostle Paul commissioned by Jesus himself. And in Galatians 1, you remember Paul said, I didn't receive my gospel from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it directly from Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 1. So Paul had direct contact with Jesus, I believe, on the Damascus Road, and then later he says in in Damascus and in Arabia. Direct contact. And so he says, by the grace given me, here's my authority, I say to everyone among you this. So now he's going to give them a command. This also applies to us. What should we not do, Paul? Well, he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Listen, if Paul has to command that, that means we're prone to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Like, do you ever notice there's no command in the Bible that says, eat at least once a day. (laughs) Drink, I mean, at least a a little bit a day, a couple sips. No, because you just do that instinctively. Your stomach gets hungry, you know I got to eat. You get thirsty, you're like, I need a drink. Where's the Gatorade? Where's the faucet? My dog says, where's the toilet? Right? It's nasty, I know. Don't kiss my dog, whatever you do. Okay. So, if he has to command us not to think more highly than we ought to, that means we are prone to that. Now he's going to give us some help. But, instead, so here's what you are to think. Think with sober judgment. So, so someone's that, someone is drunk, and, and sometimes to wake them out of their drunkenness, you might slap them across the face. Wake up! You might splash cold water in their face. You might give them a a cup of really strong coffee with some espresso shots in it, and you're trying to wake them up out of their drunkenness, sober them up. Paul's saying, sober up here and think of yourself soberly. How do we do that, Paul? Here comes the coffee. Here comes the cold water. Here comes the slap to the face. Each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Now that's, that's a weird slap in the face, but listen. That means, it literally reads like this in the Greek. It means, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each of you. Hmm. So that means, Eddie has a measure of faith. I have a measure of faith. Jamal has a measure of faith. That's different from every one of you. And that's how we're supposed to think of ourselves. As we have self-assessment, we think of ourselves soberly by thinking of ourselves by the measure of faith God has given to us. Now we got to ask the question, what does that mean? What do you mean measure of faith? Like, can I put faith one cup and then add some flour? Like, how do I measure the faith that God has given me? It's weird. It's a weird expression. Well... 1 Corinthians 4, 7 helps us. What do you have that you did not receive? Now, that's a good question. Many of us work for a living, and that's a good thing. And and we say, man, I earn my money. Okay, but, but you were born in America not by choice. And you were brought up in a family that probably gave you some kind of work ethic not by choice. And you are not crippled not by choice. And you have the energy and ability to get up every day and go to work because God is supplying that energy and ability. Listen, you could have been born in the far remote 
mountains of China with no possibility of employment. You're just living off the land trying to survive. That's a real thing. You didn't choose to be born in America. And I've talked to people that have said, I wish I was born at such and such a time in history. Well, that's okay to imagine, and you've probably been watching too many history movies and documentaries, but remember what Paul said in Acts 17. Do you remember? God determined the exact times and places where men should live. He gets to choose that. So listen, we should never feel guilty for our place or location in history. Never. shouldn't feel guilty for that because God determined that. He wants you here. I think that's so specific. That means you're here tonight on purpose. Exact times and places. He wants you to hear this tonight and you're born into this city for a purpose. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think with sober judgment. How do I do that? Well, what do you have that you haven't been given? Like, you got some nice clothes on. That's probably because Macy's exists and Gabriel Brothers exists and Five Below exists and where did you get your clothes? Right? They exist. You have the possibility of going there and buying them and you have a system of government that allows free markets that you can make money and then trade the money you get for products and yes there's a system in place but listen you didn't choose to be in this system God chose you to be in this system do you see that it's grace it's a gift you could have been born in war torn Iraq right in the middle of the Gulf War if he wanted and instead he said you'll be here at this time in this place for my purposes what do you have that you've Uh, did not receive. And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And so now here's something that's interesting. Uh, A lot of people in the media, especially those who like Twitter and love selfies, they boast in their attractiveness. Yet what do they have that they have not been given? Like they chose that. Like you chose how attractive you are in the eyes of the world but yet you boast as if you didn't receive it. And, 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 and your gift makeup, like your ability to process and reason the way you do, or the, or the skills you have with your hands, or your ability to think logically in diagrams, and that's all gift. Your artistic ability. I mean, all of your abilities that you have, listen, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, then why are you boasting like you didn't? Why are you pretending you're so awesome, is what Paul's saying. When everything that makes you awesome is a gift. It's all gift. So enjoy it. Don't boast about it. Okay. Thanks, Paul. This is also pointing to the boundaries and capacities that God sets up. There is a real thing called boundaries to your giftedness. As much as I want, I will never beat LeBron James at one-on-one. I mean, I might never even get a point. But I might really want it. But, but you know what? I could probably beat some of you. See, there's boundaries that God sets up on your capacities. You can only go so far. And, and that's, I don't care if you practice every single day. You're only going to go so far with the natural abilities we call natural God-given abilities. 
Now, you can improve, but you can only improve so much. Think of it as a a fenced-in property. God has designed each of us with capacities like a fenced-in property. You can only go up to the fence. And you should go up to the fence. You're probably yards away from the fence, trust me. You can go much further than you are. Don't think you're at the fence. Like, oh, now I can just lay back, kick up the... No. No, you can't put your feet up on the recliner and kick it back. You got some running to do. But listen, you do have limits. Think of it as a plate. You know, how many of you at Thanksgiving like to get as much on that first plate as you possibly can? Cranberries are rolling off, and you're like, get back on that plate. That's the point. Your plate is only so big, and the size of your plate gives you the ability to put on it only so much. God gets to decide how big your plate is. And so, listen, don't look at other people with bigger plates and think they're more awesome than you. They just have a bigger plate. Now, if you have a plate, and you know you have a dinner roll on there and one cranberry, and there's way more room, I'm not talking to you right now. Get some more stuff on your plate and eat, spiritually speaking. Now, this is in the scriptures, and and it's a matter of humility. So listen to John the Baptist. I I love this story, and this helps me. This is John 3, 22 to 30. Those familiar with John 3 will know this well. After this, this is after the conversation with Nicodemus and the famous John 3.16 and then the explanation of John 3.17 to 19. Well, 22 says, after this, that conversation there, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. So Jesus was baptizing. John also was baptizing. That's John the Baptist at Enon near Salem. Because water was plentiful there. It's a good argument for our Baptistic uh, view of baptism there. Water was plentiful. If you just had to sprinkle a little bit on, you don't need a plentiful bit of water. You need a capful from a water bottle. And I love my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. Just saying. Water was plentiful. Okay. (laughs) And people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So washing rites and Jewish purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, means my great one, teacher, rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing. Look at him over there. He's baptizing. And all are going to him. All your people are leaving, man. And they're going to the one that you witnessed about. They're all going to that other church. We got to do something. And, what, and what's John's attitude? I love this. Listen. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Do you believe that? That if you have anything positive and giftedness about you, you did not get that by accident. You received that directly from heaven. Isn't that awesome? One thing. 
that is not given from heaven. Verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. He's talking about those who are leaving and going to Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom who stands near him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. What a good attitude. He must increase, I must decrease. John says, I'm happy I'm losing people. I'm happy they're going to him because this is why I came. I'm happy. My mission is fulfilled and complete. And isn't it interesting that once his mission was complete, God took him out, brought him home violently by beheading. But instantly, like without a split second, instantly, as soon as his head was removed, he was with the maker of the universe in glory. The very millisecond that his life on here ended, his life just went through and on to the next. So the point being... uh, John's quote here, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Remember that. That's how you think of yourself with sober judgment. That's how you do it. That's the slap in the face. That's the cold splashing water to sober you up. That's the espresso filled hot coffee. It's that what do you have that you did not receive? It's everything that is good about you. Anything. It's from heaven. Okay. For as in one body, verse 4, so we're back in Romans now, 12.4. For as in one body, now this is pointing to the church as a body. We, that was message one and two of this series. We have many members, the nose, the eyes, the hands, the fingers, the toenails, or parts. That can be translated parts. And the members do not all have the same function. So your toes do something totally different than your tongue. And thank God your toes cannot taste Right? Praise God that he thought that through. The toes will not have taste buds. Amen. Glory to God. Because I've stepped in some nasty stuff, and I do not want to know what that tastes like. Okay. So we have different body parts, but they're still a part of the same body, and they have different functions. We, we are all different body parts. The, the metaphor is you're a body part. And you don't have the same function as anyone else in this room. You're totally a different body part. Verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Now here's what Paul's doing. He's trying to emphasize that even though there is differences and there's uniqueness and there's specific gifts to specific people, we are all still one body. We're not individuals who gather collectively and then leave as individuals. We're a body. And though we do have individualistic gifts, we're a body. Okay. Having gifts differing according to the grace given us. Now, now this this grace given us is what points to the measure of faith. Remember in verse 3, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. What does that exactly mean? Well, it means that... We, though many, verse 5, are one body and individually members of it, uh, one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. The gift given you is a measure of faith because our gifts are expressed by faith. 
Anything that's not from faith is sin, Paul says later in Romans. Anything that's not done in faith is sin. And so this measure of faith, this capacity, is also grace. It's a gift. That's what grace means. It means unearned, undeserved. You didn't do anything to get it. It's, it's a gift. And so Paul is saying in verse 5 here, we're many, but we're one in Christ. We're individuals, but we're members of one another. Do you see it? So he is emphasizing, yes, the individualness, but also the togetherness. And we don't want to fall on one side or the other. The hand still functions as a hand. The foot still acts as a foot, though it's a part of the body. Having gifts that differ from one another according to the grace given us. Let us use them. So listen, your spiritual gifts are given to you for what? To use them. Not to sit on them. Listen, if you're sitting on a massive pile of gifts, you are wasting your life. You're wasting your life. And, and I would hate, and I'm not trying to guilt you, I'm just painting a picture. I would hate for you to show up on Judgment Day and God be like, I gave you all these capacities and resources. I give you this huge plate and you put a muffin and a bagel on it. When you could have loaded that thing up like it was a buffet. And I will reward you according to your muffin and your bagel. Like, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy, God help me to be this guy, who stuff was falling off the plate. And if you know me, stuff's falling off the plate. Pray for me. Please. I need your help. <laughs> Please. That's why I'm doing this message. All right. So, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, this is a controversial gift here. Uh, we'll, we'll make it really moderate and centric to be political, right? So I don't think any New Testament prophet, quote unquote, can say, thus says the Lord. I think you're in trouble when you start talking like that. Because if you want to invoke the Old Testament capital P prophet language, you better be right. And if you're wrong, we get to stone you. Now, we're not going to stone you because this isn't a theocracy, but they were allowed to stone you in the Old Testament when you took that type of authority and were wrong. You better be pretty confident that what you're saying is God's direct words, or you better say something like, I think God might be saying this, or I have a sense that God might be wanting you to know this. You better not be saying, thus says the Lord, as if you're the authoritative word of God. It's a very dangerous thing to say, and I recommend no one ever saying it. Whenever someone says that, and I hear them on TV or the radio in person, I'm like, oh my gosh, do you realize what you're doing right now? Because God sure knows what you're doing, even if you don't. And that is so dangerous. So even if you do have a prophetic gifting, please don't say that. Because you just don't know. So what, what is prophecy? Well, I, I want to say it's, it's an extreme discernment in the New Testament. Like, stuff comes to mind when you're talking to people that you didn't know that they needed to hear, or you say something, and they're like, oh my gosh, that is exactly what I needed to hear. And you're like, oh, sweet. <laughs> Praise God. That's a gift for you, you know? You're not going around saying, I'm the prophet. If you're going around with that title, you don't get it. You're trying to invoke some respect that you should not have. 
There's two offices in the New Testament. It's the elder and the deacon. And even they are not supposed to invoke their title like they're the stuff. They're servants and unprofitable ones at that, Jesus said. What do you have that you've not been given? Okay, so extreme discernment. You might know things about people that you shouldn't know. That's possible, I believe. Uh, I've, I've seen it. Certainly heard a lot of stories. I'm, I'm not a prophet. Okay, I don't have that gift, so I can't experientially say this is what it's like. But what we do know is the New Testament is very clear. You better test it. You better test it with the Scriptures and not trust anyone. So if you come to me and you say, and I love you, if you come to me and say, hey, I have a word for you, my guard is up, and you best believe my Berean instincts are kicking in. Do you know who the Bereans were? They even tested the Apostle Paul's message, and Luke, the writer of Acts, said they were more noble than the Thessalonians for doing that, for testing. It didn't say they doubted the Apostle Paul. They were of little faith, and God should have smote them. No. They were more noble than the Thessalonians because they didn't just take Paul's word for it. They went and studied. And if you get any kind of anybody coming up to you saying, I have a word for you, you better be on that in your Bible and checking. Okay? All right. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service, so we could say that the prophecy is a word gift. It's generally in words. It's not actions necessarily. It's words. If service in our serving. Now this is actions. Serving is a massive category, just like deacon is a massive category. It, can, it includes tearing up and setting down in a worship service. It includes setting up the coffee. It includes you cleaning up someone's yard for them. It includes you cutting your friend's grass. Or I mean, it's just so broad. Some have said it's the gift of helps. You, just, you actually enjoy helping people. Anyone like that? You get joy out of helping people. Like it brings you joy. You probably have this gift, the gift of service. You, you, you don't necessarily like to be in front of anyone speaking. In fact, that terrifies you and your mouth dries up instantly and you're like, I want to go home right now. But the thought of you not necessarily being in the spotlight and helping out, that, that's attractive and that's enjoyable. Well, you probably have the gift of service. In our serving, the one who teaches, this is words, in his teaching. Now, what's he doing here? Well, he's saying, use it according to the grace and in the proportion to the faith. That means the measure and the capacity with which the gift is given you. So even if you are, in a sense, this New Testament prophet or this New Testament uh, serving gift or you're this New Testament teacher, you have a capacity that's going to be different from others that might have that same gift. And what are you to do? You, to, you use it with the capacity and the measure that God has given it to you. You use it to the fullest that you can. And you don't envy people that have a more proportionate faith than you, a, a bigger plate, a, a more capacity. You don't envy them and say, oh, they're killing it, and I'm just... The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts, that's words, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. Now, now this is a giving gift. How many of you... I actually do have this gift, so I know what this feels like. How many of you actually enjoy giving things away? Money, possessions, your time. Yeah, if you enjoy that, you have a giving gift. That's a real thing. 
And God is the giver. You're being godly when you give. And, and it's obvious he means giving because it says in generosity. God loves a cheerful giver. And so if you love, so, so you're the person who just bought that new CD and you know how good it is and you've only had it for two listens and you just have to give it away because it's so good. You're like, I'll get another one. I can't tell you how many of my favorite book I've bought over and over and over again. Because I know it's so good and I know you need to have it. And I actually enjoy giving it to you. And then right after, I'm like, i got to buy a new one. Dang, and I'll probably give this one away too. I've given away more reason for God by Tim Keller than probably any other book than the Bible. Okay. Have I given anyone that book in here? No? Okay. You were not one of the ones who received that generosity. The one who leads with zeal. So there's a, a leadership gift. Now this is going to be, I think, both. You're going to lead with words and you're going to lead with actions. Paul was this guy. Paul was a leader. So what is a leader? Well, a leader is you're someone with influence. If you have influence in others' lives, you're a leader. Now, some people lead thousands. Some people lead, lead hundreds. Some people lead five. But if you have influence in others' lives, you're a leader. They're willing to follow you. Now, if you're like, I'm a leader, and you're trudging along and there's no one behind you, you're not a leader. You may think you're a leader, but you're not. A leader has to have someone following them or they're not leading anybody but themselves. Okay, but we know that it's a both and because Paul used a lot of words. He wrote 13 of the 27 letters in the New Testament. But he also said, follow me as I follow Christ. You've seen how I've lived. You've examined my lifestyle. And so it's a both and. The one who does acts of mercy, this is a, a, a serving gift, acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, how many of you love mercy type ministry? Like you see hurting people and you're like, I got to help. You have great compassion for people. In fact, you may have 12 or 13 compassion children that you sponsor. Any compassion people here or world vision people? Yeah. So you're the compassion people. You're like, I love hurting people and I just want to help. I wish I could help more. How many of you know what that's like? You're like, I can only help so many. I just want to help more. You probably have this mercy gift. And it's an acting gift. It, it compels you. It propels you to do, to act. It's a mercy gift. You feel it, and then you act on it. And I would just uh, give a little help for you with the gift of mercy and the gift of giving. You need to have somebody who's a, a, a red light and a stop sign in your life, or you're going to be in big trouble. Eddie, that guy? He said amen from experience. Talk to Eddie about how he's been broke by those gifts. Okay. Let's move on quickly. Um, Peter, back to Peter 4.10. Here's why I want to talk about this. So we talked about uh, number one, gifted. Let's talk about number two, gifted to serve. This will be much quicker, much quicker point. So he says, Peter, as each has received a gift, notice, received, there it is again, use it for what? To serve one another. So the reason you have the gift you have is not for you. Now you may enjoy using the gift you've been given, but it's not for you. You're like, I've got all these gifts and they're my gifts. Well, no, they're for others. They're gifted to you so that you can use the gifts on other people. 
It's very clear. As each has received, in other words, God gave it to you, what do you do with it? Use it to serve one another. Your gift is for others. It's an other-focused gift. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Grace means gift. And so God gives the gifts. And listen, you are to be a steward of it. You know what stewards often do? They give an account for what they are stewarding. So listen, I'm just exhorting you now. I'm using that gift that we just mentioned, exhorting. Please find out what your gifts are and begin to steward them well because that's what you're here for. Do you believe that you exist for the glory of God? How many of you know the answer to the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Why do I exist? Why do I exist? Go ahead, say it out. You did, you did the Piper version. Yeah. So, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the answer. Why do we exist? Why, why am I here? Well, you're here to glorify God and enjoy Him. That's going to last forever. The Piper helpfully gave us a word switch there, and Jimmy quoted Piper and said, to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And I say amen to that word switch there. Okay, so you exist to glorify God. When you steward the gifts He's given you well and serve others, God is glorified. You're fulfilling your purpose. Like, what am I here for? What do I get up in the morning for? To glorify God. One way you can glorify God is by stewarding the gifts He's given you well. We, as the leaders of the church, want to help you in that. We want you to recognize who God has made you to be and how he has gifted you to serve. And we want to provide opportunities for you to use those gifts so that you can begin to steward and grow in your giftedness. Okay, let's move on. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. We'll move really fast. Now, there are varies or varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There's the variety and same again. Like one body, many members. A variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit who is the one doing all the gifts. So who's the Spirit of evangelism? The Holy Spirit. Who's the Spirit of mercy? The Holy Spirit. Who's the Spirit of prophecy? The Holy Spirit. And on and on and on. It's the same Spirit that works all the gifts in individual members. Verse 5. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Lord is Jesus. He's the one who we serve, but we serve him by serving others. Verse 6, and there are varieties of activities, but the same God, there's the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. So you have the triune working of God in spiritual gifts. Spirit, Lord Jesus, God the Father, the Trinity is moving through you. That is an amazing reality. When you use your spiritual gifts, the Trinity is moving through you. That's fantastic. And it's not theory. It's not an idea. It's real. It's real. To, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, manifestation of the Spirit, that, that gets weird in church context. That simply means this. If something becomes manifest, you can see it. When before you couldn't. That's all it means. And so, what he's saying is to each is given a visible working of the Holy Spirit for what? Not for you. For the common good. 
for the good of the body that you're connected to. In our context, Eternal City Church. So the Holy Spirit becomes evident in the life of the church when you exercise your spiritual gifts. How do we see the Holy Spirit? Does he show up like the form of a dove? No. This says he shows up when you begin to use your spiritual gift. That doesn't mean he visually shows up. It means he shows up in your using the gifts he's given you. He becomes manifest. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. That means you've been given by God this wisdom that is not yours. You ever have someone come to you and say, you're wise beyond your years. Or they seek you out for counsel. Or they're always coming to you with questions. Or you, you may have the gift of wisdom. And Solomon prayed for this, didn't he? When he was about to ascend to the throne as a teenager, he prays for wisdom and God says, I'll, I'll give you wisdom and what you haven't asked for. Okay, and so I, James, remember, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God will generously pour that out. Especially in trial, because that's the context. When you're going through trials and you're struggling and you're broke and you don't know which way to go and you're busted, you pray for wisdom. And God will show up. But there are some people who have this supernatural wisdom. It's not because they've learned a lot. It's not because they took a lot of classes. It's not because they had a lot of life experience. It's because God is moving in and through them. It's a gift. I want that gift. And to another, the utterance of knowledge. And so you have this knowledge. Now, now the knowledge gift is, is simply this. You have an insatiable hunger to understand and know. And you just can't help it. Like to some of you reading, you're like, I want to take a nap. And to some of you reading, you're like, oh my gosh, another book. So, so you, the, the gift of knowledge, you go into the half-price bookstore, and you have to set a limit before you go in there. You're like, I'm only allowing myself five books. And then what happens is you have a stack of ten and you mournfully put back five. You have the gift of knowledge. You're an incessant blog reader. You're like, oh my gosh, it's been three hours and I've been looking at blogs for three hours. I forgot I was hungry. You have the gift of knowledge. Now listen, all teachers have to have the gift of knowledge. You can't be a So there's some gifts that go together. If you're a teacher, you have the gift of knowledge. So, so it's dangerous for me. I have this gift so I can talk about it a little more freely and openly without fear of condemnation. That was a joke. Um, so so when, when the book catalog comes to my house, it's a temptation to lust, to be honest with you. Like, I'm lusting after books I don't have. And I have about 300 books I haven't read. And I'm like, no. And I see it on the counter. No. All right, I'll look at the, oh, man. A new Piper book. Oh, Keller's coming out with another one. I haven't read the last five I bought. Maybe that's the gift of knowledge. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. You, you feel me? So here's a helpful hint for you. Throw the catalog away as soon as it comes in the mail and you'll be all right. Just throw it away and you won't sin, okay? <laughs> all right. So knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit. The, the gift of faith is you just have this 
uncanny trust in God. And people are amazed at you just being like, God's going to come through. It's going to be all right. He's in control. You just have this amazing trust in God that other people are freaking out. And you're like, it's all good. God's in control. You have this supernatural trust in him that others just do not have. Don't look down on them because they don't trust God as much as you do. You have the gift they don't. Anyone have the gift of faith? You just have this trust in God that is unexplainable. Well, it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift. To another, gifts of healing. Now, now, this is interesting. I don't believe there's healers. I don't believe there's faith healers. Because it doesn't say that. It says gifts of healing. It doesn't say the gift of healing. So does God heal people? Yeah. James 5 says, is anyone sick among you? Let the elders anoint him with oil and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now God gets to choose that path for that individual being prayed for. If it's in the Lord's will, he'll answer it. But listen, God does heal people, but it says gifts of healing, not the gift of healing. Verse 10, to another, the working of miracles, controversy. Now, the rest of these are all super controversial. So you got miracles, you got prophecy, you got distinguishing spirits. That means extreme discernment, uh, discerning uh, good spirits and bad spirits and what's dark here and what's light and what's really going on behind the scenes. To another, various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, there are a lot of books written on these few verses. I mean, massive amounts of ink have been spilled over verses 10 and 11. And I'm not going to attempt in a minute to try to dissect it. But what I will tell you is, I believe that these gifts still operate today. I'm a continuist, if you want to label me. However, I am a very cautious continuist. I'm a very skeptical continuist when it comes to these gifts. Why? Because I've seen these gifts abused like no other gifts in the Bible. Abused and people use them as weapons on other people. And so I am very, very cautious when it comes to these gifts. And you should be too. You with me? Okay, good. And so if you have questions about that, we can dig into that more. Uh, as, as is always, when you go on the website and listen to the recording of this message, on the individual message on the bottom left-hand corner, there's a resource link. Click on that. There will be further resources and links and books. And you could go much further on this when this sermon's online if you want. But we just don't have the time. Okay? Now, let's quickly uh, listen to John Bloom. John Bloom is co-founder of Desiring God. He's Piper's boy. And he's an author. He's written three books and he's working on another one and he blogs all the time. This article that I'm going to post in that resource page impacted me with might. And I, I thought it would be helpful for you. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read a couple things from this article as we think about our gifts. Now listen to this. Our gifts, this is John Bloom, are not intended to be platforms where we try to gain a sense of significance from the esteem of men. Your gifts do not exist for you to glorify you, to find ultimate, listen, ultimate purpose and fulfillment. It's only found in God. To gain respect 
It's not what they're for. Our gifts are not intended to be platforms where we try to gain a sense of significance or esteem from men. Look at my gift. Our real significance comes from God choosing us in Christ. Gifting us and deploying us in His kingdom for His purposes. There is more significance there than we can fully comprehend and appreciate. The praise of men is usually vicarious fluff. Isn't that fantastic? The praise of men is vicarious fluff. And who wants vicarious fluff? I don't. But often, we're like, oh, so-and-so said such-and-such about me, and all of a sudden, you're high. You're up. So-and-so said that about me, and now you're low, and you're down, and you're beat. Well, that's vicarious fluff. You want to live like that? They didn't appreciate my gift. Vicarious fluff. They didn't notice me and what I was doing. Vicarious fluff. You want that? I don't. I want to serve God and know that He sees me, He recognizes me, and He will reward me. You want the praise of man as your reward? Jesus says, you've received your reward. I don't want the praise of man as my reward. That's too little. Too small of a reward for me. All right, John Bloom continues. Our lives are not about pursuing our dreams. As much as the American culture tells you that, that's not what life's about. Every Disney movie that exists ends at that point. And I love Disney movies, okay? I see them all. I own many of them, so I'm not against Disney. I'm just saying watch for it. The focal point of everyone, what's the point of this movie? You're free, live your dream, pursue it, be all you can be. That's, that's the plot of every Disney movie. Our lives are not about pursuing our dreams. Many of our dreams are self-exalting pride fantasies and gratuitously selfish when we really examine them. John Bloom, how dare you? How dare you come at the American dream like that? I think he's right. The truth is, we rarely know what's best for us and what will really make us happy. That's a perspective issue. See, if God knows all things considered, and he sees all realities connected to all other realities, then he knows what's going to make you happy more than you do. Now, to trust him on that is called faith. To say, God, you know what will really make me happy, not what I think will make me happy, that's, that's faith. But our designer knows. He knows exactly what we're made for and how we can live life the way, listen to this, the way, I'm sorry, how we can live the life we've been given to the fullest and most fruitful. If we follow him by faith, he will lead us in the most ultimate fulfilling paths, even when those paths lead through suffering and death. So live your assignment, last paragraph. Steward your gifts to the utmost for the sake of others. Aspire to be the very best and most fruitful that you can be for God's glory. Don't dishonor God by devaluing the gifts he's given you. Don't waste valuable time grumbling about the gifts you don't have or resenting others for the gifts they have or even for the sinful pride they might exist or exhibit. They're stumbling, recovering self just like you. 
And God knows how to graciously oppose them. 1 Peter 5, 5. Pray for them. And so if you see some arrogant, prideful gift user, pray for them. And know that they're a selfaholic, just like you, just like me. So we're all in the boat together. Selfaholics. Anyone a selfaholic? Come on, just admit it. The first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> admit it. You're a selfaholic. S A A, Selfaholics Anonymous. All right. S A S A. All right. Lastly, let's quickly talk about uh, God as gifts. So John 3.16, you know it well. For God so loved the world, he what? He gave. You see, God's a giver. He is the ultimate gift giver. He gives us himself. God is gift. If God gave us all other gifts but didn't give us himself, he shorted us. (laughs) But God gave us the best gift he could have given himself. So the Father gives. What does the Father give? The Father gives the Son. God so loved the world, the Father, that He what? He gave His only Son. Why? So that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So God the Father gave us the best gift He could have possibly given us, Himself, in the person of the Son. God the Father sent God the Son on a mission. And that mission was to live perfectly in our place, fulfill the law, and then to take the hell on the cross that we deserve. That's what Peter tells us. Listen to 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, that's him, for the unrighteous, that's us. That he might bring us to God. And so God gives Jesus so that Jesus can give us God. It's fantastic. So we are without God and without hope in the world, but God does something about it. He acts, He gives, He moves in history, gives the Son. The Son gives Himself as a gift for us in life and in death, and then the Son gives us the gift of God. That's what Peter just said. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, this is a so that, He might bring us to God, God the Father. And then you know what happens after that. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go. Because if I go, I'll do what? I'll send the comforter, the helper. I'll send the spirit. And so God has given us the greatest gift he can. Himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ours. We're in Christ. We have God as our Father. We're in Christ. He's our big brother. Our sins are forgiven. We're united to Him by grace through faith. We have the power that created the universe living in us, the Holy Spirit. Dwelling in you as if you were the Old Testament temple. And He has given you gifts. He wants you to use those gifts to bless others, to serve others. And we want to help aid you in that service. So let's pray and ask God to, one, show us the gifts that He's given us. Make it clear. We want clarity. And then to manifest Himself in the moving or acting out or the working of those gifts. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for this opportunity to talk about gifts and spiritual gifts and and to... Look pride in the face and be humbled. 
thank you, Father, that you did not leave us on our own. You sent Jesus as a gift to live and die in our place. Jesus, thank you for taking our place and bringing us to the Father. Thank you, Father and Son, for sending the Spirit as a gift that we might have you with us always. You'll never leave us or forsake us. We have your Spirit in us. And I thank you that above and beyond, you have given us gifts to serve one another with. I pray that, Father, as we move into this next week, that you would help us to um, recognize the gifts that you've given us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see how you want to move through us. And may we be fruitful. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. So this